Okay. Well, I think we've, we've had quite a crowd go up there. I guess some people will come back in a moment. But uh, do take your seats again if you can. Great stuff. So this month we're starting a new series uh, for the month. And it's around the thought of reset, resetting, resetting our attitudes particularly. And this is where we may have thought some things and had some beliefs that we've held to. But actually, when we look at God's word, we might need to just read just to check to, to see, well, have I got the best set of beliefs? Am I believing the right things? Am I, are my attitudes measuring up to, to what God's saying? Because maybe God's got a better plan. Uh, many of us will have computers and, and they are sometimes a blessing and sometimes less of one. Um, and, and quite often there's an update that's planned. And you don't realize, but you're working along, and, and the computer's doing something, and it seems to slow down. And, uh, and then you get an option. Sometimes on mine it says, would you like to update and restart or update and shut down? Um, well, I don't really want to do either. I want to carry on working normally. Um, but, but resetting, resetting or restarting, sometimes you hope it's a quicker option. There's the old classic IT support gag, isn't there, where, where actually all the IT support offers is the option to, you know, to ask the question, have you turned it off and back on again? Because that's about all that's ever needed with a computer, generally that or a sledgehammer. Um, but one or the other generally will fix most things. Um, and it's this thought that maybe if we just reset, if we reboot, if we turn off and back on again, and by comparing with what God says about something, then perhaps we can find a better way of thinking and being. That's the whole thought behind this for the next few weeks. Uh, last weekend, we were away. It was nice to be away. It's lovely to be back. And uh, we went to, as Judith, myself, and Nat went to Cornwall, which was lovely. And the reason we were there was for a university open day. Decided that seven hours drive and seven hours back was quite a lot to do in a day, um, plus an open day. So we made a little break of it, which was lovely. Uh, and for those of you who've ever been to university open days, the idea is that you're checking out the place, you're getting a feel for it. Um, we were just there as moral support and uh, bank facility um, and, and transport. And that was doing the checking out. But we were just checking out, was this a nice place? Was the course good? Was there, and there's lots of filtering going on. And, but there's a point at which, in, in, in any kind of time like that, when you're looking at somewhere as, could I possibly go here? That, that you're kind of, you've, you've crossed over, yes, it's nice or no, it's not. And then you, you move into a different frame of mind. And, and that's partly, am I qualified? Could I get in? Do they, would they want me? Does this fit? And there's this two-way process going on about, is this an all right place and is it a good course? But also, do I fit? Am I qualified? Could I get there? And I want to talk today about disqualification. Resetting. I believe God's got a word for us today about resetting our thinking on disqualification, because sometimes I think we disqualify ourselves from stuff that we shouldn't do. When we read the Bible, it's full of opportunity. It's full of challenge. It's full of invitation to follow Jesus wholeheartedly. There, there's a great commission in here, which is to go and make disciples of all the world, uh, telling people about, teaching people about Jesus and baptizing them. We've announced a baptism service, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There are some incredible promises in this scripture which teach about going and planting churches and, and, and sending people into the whole of the world to live for Jesus day by day. 
even if you perhaps don't feel that there's some kind of dramatic call that God's put on your life, still the call to every disciple is to be a disciple maker. The call to every follower of Jesus is to be making a difference. The call is to make a difference to the poor, to bring justice, to bring the kingdom of God, to, to bring reconciliation with God. And so there's incredible promises. And, and I'm aware from my own life, and perhaps this is applies to you too, that there are times when we can write ourselves off. We read the, the scriptures which talk about these challenges and, and in the Old Testament we read the stories, in the New Testament we read similar stories of people doing great things and we go, that's great for them. The, the campus looks nice. The, in theory, the course looks nice, but I'm not qualified. I'm out. I'm not going to apply. I'm not going to put myself in the frame. Probably somebody else ought to because they'll be better at it than me. I'm off somewhere else. And I think we do that again and again and again. And I've got a few things I want to say today um, around different ways that I think we disqualify ourselves or we think we're disqualified. And I want to just help us reset our thinking on this. I believe God's shown me a passage in Scripture which will help us with this. And several of them. Firstly, that we've blown it. I think sometimes we can think that we've blown it and we've disqualified ourselves from serving God. Secondly, I think we can believe that we've missed it. Thirdly, that we're not up to it. Fourthly, that we've been denied it. We wanted to, but other people have stopped us. Fifthly, it's not so much disqualification, but it is by the result of it, but it's more that we just say we're not going to do it. So we're pushing it away for another time. So those are the things I want to look at. I've placed the emphasis and the weight on the first one, uh, so don't worry if this first one about having blown it takes a little while because the others will wrap up pretty quickly afterwards. So this is what I really want to look at, the ways that we disqualify ourselves uh, from serving God. You know, there's some amazing passages in the Old Testament, a couple where God says, whom shall I send? And the the right response is, Here I am, send me. I'm tapping into the thought that sometimes our response is, here I am, send her. Because she's going to be a lot better at it than I am. And after all, you remember the time when I blew it, don't you? And I don't want to blow it again. I let you down. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. But my guess is that we've all blown it. We've all, through sin or mistake or failure, blown it. And sometimes, big time. Sometimes our mistakes or failures have been so significant that they've had life-changing consequences. The shape of our lives has been altered. The choices we've had to make have been limited as a result of the the decisions we made or the sin that we committed or something has changed the course of our lives. And we've blown it. And that weighs heavily on us. Sometimes when I've been sharing with people about Jesus on a one-to-one level and talking about what it means to follow him... I've been aware that there's a little bit of resistance, and the resistance isn't a a cerebral resistance. It's not a resistance about the content of the gospel or the truth of the gospel or whether Jesus is real, but the resistance is actually an internalized one where people are listening about Jesus and, and, and thinking that they're not good enough to follow him. Thinking that Christianity is for good people and that only good people can become Christians, only good people can follow 
Jesus, that somehow I, I, I can understand what you're saying. I can understand the truth of what you're saying, but I'm not ready yet. I'm not ready yet. And it's not so much ready to give up stuff. It's ready to be good enough. And that's an absolute, it's a travesty. It's a real shame because it's the opposite of the truth. Uh, and once you come to Christ and you're following him, you know that Christians are rotters. You know that you don't have to, well, hopefully not all the time, but you, you know that actually it's not because we're good enough. It's because he is that we follow him. And it's because Jesus saves the, the rotten, the lost, the, the people who've blown it through no redeeming feature of their own that we can come to him and find salvation. God makes us good. If there's any goodness, it's because of him, not because of us. And yet that same theology can creep into the church once we've started following him. We can think about our sin, our, maybe our persistent sin, maybe the things we fall into again and again, or the times we blew it big time and life had to change. And we can think, well, I made it into the kingdom. I hope I'm still a Christian, but actually I don't think God can use me anymore. I think I've blown it once too often. There's a key story I want to look at today, and it's the story of a guy called Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, his followers, one that Jesus called personally. Jesus chose him. It wasn't by accident. And Peter was a fisherman, and he gave up his fishing. He was a married man, and despite being married and, and possibly a family, we don't know, but he was certainly married. He had a mother-in-law, so that usually implies that you're married, um, unless there's an adopt-a-mother-in-law scheme, but I'm not aware of one. So Peter was most probably married, and uh, he followed Jesus, and that had a cost attached. He gave up home and family connections and probably not his wife, but he gave up kind of being with extended family because he was traveling around and, and there was a cost to the ministry of following Jesus and walking with him. And it wasn't easy to follow. And Peter's the kind of guy who is full of faith and steps out again and again and again to trust God. Again and again, Peter's on the front foot. You know, some of us are on the back foot. Peter's one of these guys on the front foot. He's there right at the front. He's volunteering. He's, he's, if there's a line uh, and someone's asking for a volunteer, Peter's already out of the line. Uh, yeah, it's me. Pick me. I wanna, I'll go for it. He's that kind of guy. And then we get to the story at the end of his life, or at the end of the, the gospel, really. Uh, I hope you can see the text. It's perhaps a little bit small, but, but it's in Luke 22. And this is talking about a time when, when Peter denies Jesus. And I've got a few verses on the screen, and I've had to cut a, a couple of bits out to, to just fit it all on, but I'm going to read it to you. And it's from Luke 56. And, and they've taken Jesus away. He's been arrested, and Peter's followed him. And it says this, Then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. It's going to come onto the screen in a, in a second. A, a servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you were also one of them. Man, I'm not. Peter replied. About an hour later, another, an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. 
just as he was speaking, the cock crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the cock crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. In our service a little while earlier, we had a, a message in tongues and interpretation. We believe that God speaks to us today through spiritual gifts. We believe God speaks through his word. And Peter has had a word from Jesus actually in front of him to say, you're going to deny me three times before the cock crows. He hears the cock crow and he knows that what he's just done is deny Jesus three times. Peter was in a moment which lasted longer than an hour. Several opportunities to proclaim the gospel. Several opportunities to say, yes, yes, I follow. Yes, I'm a believer. Peter had walked with Jesus and he'd seen people come close and go away again. He'd seen people come near and want to believe and then give up. And he'd stood the test of time up until this point. And at this moment, this is Peter's big opportunity to nail his colors to the mast and say, yes, I am one of his. I'm the man. I'm stepping out of the line. I'm volunteering. It's me. And yet, at this point, Peter does exactly the opposite. He knows the significance of this. He's heard Jesus talk about how we come into the kingdom by believing in him. And he, at this point, is doing the opposite and denying him. He's heard Jesus talk about the risk of denying him. And at this point, Peter's doing exactly that. He's doing the very thing that he would have himself preached against. He's gone out and preached about Jesus. He's told others to believe in him. And here, he's not actually acting according to his own sermons. Anyone who's preached knows how easy that is to do and how actually half the time we're preaching to ourselves. Is it is half an underestimate? Probably is, isn't it? Yeah? Yeah, probably more than that. Okay. Worst of all, Peter had been warned that this would happen. And he still did it. Just, what's this like for Peter at this moment? You've been there, not in the courtyard, not with a fireplace, not asked if you belong to Jesus in a setting like this where your life's at stake, perhaps. And maybe you have. But you've been there with an opportunity to follow God and you've chosen the opposite route. And you've known it wasn't the right thing to do, but you've still done it. I have. You're broken. You're broken. It's so hard, isn't it? And when you feel like you've blown it, that horrid feeling. And Peter goes outside and he weeps bitterly, that sense of emptiness and brokenness. You know, we hate, I don't know about you, but I hate making mistakes. Sometimes that makes me cautious about making, taking a risk. I understand that. But I, I, I don't like making mistakes. And I've, I've made plenty. I've made lots. I've, I've stepped out and made loads of mistakes and blown it. And easy ones. You know, times that are easy to, to talk about. I remember my first driving test. That'll give you a clue that there was more than one. And I remember the feeling when I got the little conversation with the driving examiner at the end as he explained my mistakes to me. And I remember thinking about what it felt like to fail and what it felt like to then, I've got to go and tell my instructor in a moment that I didn't measure up. And I've got to go home and tell the folks at home that I didn't measure up. 
And still to this day, if we're talking about driving tests, I will explain, probably if you ask me, my, my natural response is to defend myself by saying how many lessons I'd had until that first test. And I justify it by the fact I wasn't very experienced. That's that's because it's still I'm still a bit miffed that I failed the first time. Another experience. When I was a, I went off to Bible college, I was an ex internal student at the Bible college, but an external student at London University, and we had in at the end of our second year to take a set of exams called prelims, preliminary exams, and I had Old Testament, uh, New Testament. Early church, no, Old Testament, early church, and Greek. Did I hated Greek. Nothing wrong with the Greek language. Uh, I love Greek people, but learning Greek I found very difficult. It's all squiggles and stuff and didn't really necessarily work for me. Anyway, I worked hard on the Old Testament, worked a bit on the early church, and tried to keep up with the Greek. I got my results at the end of that year and discovered, much to my disappointment, that I had failed my Greek exam by 2.5%. Don't feel sorry for me. I didn't do enough work. So at 2.5%, I was miffed, kicking myself. And that sense of... Now, I had a choice to make then. Do I pull off the course? Do I resit the exam? I resat the exam. But for me, as an external student in London, that meant I sat my Greek exam 12 months later. So I'd done two years. I then did my third year. I did all my third year courses for all the internal Bible college stuff plus four exam modules for London University, I learned that stuff. I, I then, at the end of that 12 months, took one Greek exam. I then had my fourth year, which I did uh, college stuff, plus I did London University studies for my fourth year studies, but then at the end of my fourth year, I took my third year exams for my third year subjects. Now, you're confused, I was confused. Okay, uh, and this carried on, so I was a year behind, but doing the learning for a year and then taking the exams for the year before. And our exams weren't sat there. We had to travel to Manchester to sit our exams in different... It's all a bit awkward. And they've improved the system these days. Now, that was hard work. It was also hard work for Judith because we met at college and got married after our third year. So she had a year of me still on my course, course in college. So she was the breadwinner for us as a nurse. Uh, she also had then me doing a fifth year afterwards, when I was still studying and could only work part-time, also supporting me until I could then get a full-time job. So there's consequences to my failure. There was consequences to my two and a half lousy percent. And I'm still miffed. But you know what? God was good through that time. And despite the fact that I failed and, and I've messed up again and again and again in all sorts of ways, God carried us through, but there was still shame and guilt and, and disappointment over that. There's loads of situations when we blow it. There's times when we sin, and, and persistent temptation leads us to sin, and we do that persistently at times. Sometimes we have victory, and we go through a little period of time where it seems as though the clouds have parted, and it's all clear, and then again we find ourselves in a setting where we're tired or vulnerable or weak or we're just proud or stubborn and we choose to go our own way against God again. And at that moment, the clouds come over and maybe you weep bitterly with disappointment at yourself again, that you've stepped into the place of sin again, that you vowed you'd never be there. I've done this before and you end up again in that place. 
It doesn't really matter what it is, whether it's pride, judgments of others, anger, being unforgiving, gambling, pornography, sexual sin. It doesn't really matter. Whatever it is that you think you're enjoying at the time, but you know is actually against God's word, leaves us with a sense that we've failed, that we've blown it, that we've missed it. How could God use me? There are loads of other kinds of failure, relational failure, Marriages, parenting, broken family relationships, financial failure, business failure, where we lost our job and we're not sure what's happening next. All these things are a sense of failure where maybe, maybe if only we'd made a different decision, we wouldn't have ended up there. But still we carry the sense of disappointment with us that we've blown it. And you and I have had conversations where maybe it's someone else, maybe it's us, and we find ourselves hearing the words or saying the words if I, I, I know if I'd done it differently, I would have, and we're recapping because it still hurts. We're recapping. I'm reversing around the corner on my first driving test, wishing that I'd, I'd made, paid attention to the car that was, I thought was a long way off, but is still coming towards me, and I'd acted. I, I'm recounting and explaining my pain and the fact that I feel like I've blown it. And, and there's a response to blowing it. A response to messing up, which not only is that it's raw, but we weep bitterly. We're broken. When I read through the story, just to remind myself and get the details in order, I realized that this is the last time we see Peter for a bit. He's not around till the resurrection. So Jesus is being tried. He's being tried again, tried again. And then he's led out to be crucified. He's whipped before that and he's buried. And it's not until Jesus is raised from the dead that we hear of Peter again. And for those days, Peter's carrying his disappointment and his brokenness and his sense of having blown it. And you've been there and so have I. And at times we write ourselves off from responding to God and saying yes to God. How can it happen? It happens very easily. Peter's not a special case. Peter's not a special case. There's people all through the Bible. I don't have time to look at them. People like David. There's so many others who were esteemed and lifted up. And and we read about them in, in, in glowing terms. But yet they blew it again and again and again. King David, who who all other kings afterwards are measured by, actually we read that he lusted after a woman, committed adultery with her, arranged for her husband to be killed, This is serious stuff. And then covered it up. Now in David's case and in Peter's case, there was restoration. In in Peter's case, Jesus was already on the case and and something amazing happened. And I want to show you this, but we, we, we just need to get to another passage which is a little bit before then. And this is Peter at the Last Supper with Jesus. And this is the bit where Jesus predicts it. And we're going to share communion a little bit, a little bit later on. And this is what we're reading about where Simon Peter is having a meal as one of the disciples with Jesus. And this is what Jesus says to him. Uh, Simon, Simon. It's the same guy as Peter. It's just got two names. Simon, has, Simon, Simon. Si- Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. 
And when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows or the cock crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. Uh, we, we see that actually we need to see that we're in a spiritual battle. We need to see that Simon Peter is, has been selected as the disciples. All of them have been selected by Satan to sift them as wheat. We need to see that it's not just us. That it's not just us being Muppets, but actually we are Muppets sometimes. But as well, we're in a spiritual battle and we're under attack. And we need to be aware of this. There's a process going on where the enemy, the evil one, will do anything he can to separate us from God. Will do anything he can to isolate us, which is why we mustn't leave Peter bitter and broken and hurting. Why Jesus needs to speak to him again soon after. Why we mustn't stay in our brokenness and having blown it. But that's the temptation. The temptation is to go inward and withdraw and say, I've blown it. God can never use me again. I'm covered in shame. It's not true. And it's not true because of an incredible thing that's in this passage. Have a look at the screen. This is before Peter denies him. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. Jesus is praying for us. That's brilliant. But look at the next bit. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Jesus speaks through Peter's failure to the restoration afterwards. He looks through the failure. He looks through the disappointment. He looks through Peter letting him down. And he's actually already beyond it and calling Peter to the other side. He says, Peter, when you've turned around, when you've repented, strengthen your brothers. The other side of your brokenness seems impossible to get to. The other side of letting God down seems so difficult, but he's already there saying, yeah, yeah, I know. Come, let's carry on. Jesus is recommissioning Peter from his failure before he's even failed. Before he's blown it, before he's messed up, before he's sinned, before he's denied Jesus, Peter is already recommissioned by Jesus. That's amazing. It's awesome that God would do that for us, that through our biggest failure, he's already got a plan for us that involves us serving him, that we haven't blown it, that actually our sin isn't so grave, our failure isn't so great, our mistakes aren't so enormous that he's written us off and said, no, you've blown it. But he's already on the other side calling us through to that. I wonder if we can reset our isolation and our failure. Reset the thoughts that we've blown it. Reset that actually we haven't disqualified ourselves from God's service. I'm going to just give you the headings because my time has gone. So, it's possible that we've missed it. It's possible that you think, you know what, I'm too old. Abraham, Moses, Caleb, John writing Revelation, all 80 plus, you're not too old. It's possible that you didn't want to serve God 
Jonah didn't either, but God gave him another chance. It's possible that you gave up on God. There's a story in the New Testament about a guy called John Mark who was with Paul and gave up. And at the end of Paul's ministry, he's, he's restored again and there's restoration. You may feel like you're not up to serving God. I've got loads of illustrations. I'm just going to give you the heading. But it might be that spiritually or because of your gifting or lack of it or your experience or your physical health or disability or mentally that you suffer from depression or, or some other struggle that you say, no, I'm not up to serving Jesus. Someone else will have to do it. It's not true. It's absolutely not true. I've got one illustration which is of Elijah who suffered from a depression after he had, uh, had a great victory and then he's in utter despair and God meets him in his despair and says, come on, I've still got work for you to do. Come on, it's not over yet. Maybe someone else has denied you your opportunity. They got in the way, they said no. Or nobody, you don't feel that anybody recognizes your gifting. You're not released. You've tried, it didn't work. And you still carry pain associated with that previous attempt. One of the dangers we saw with Peter is that he's left in pain and isolated. And I just want to encourage you and speak a prophetic word to say, God hasn't finished with you. And it's time to unwrap, to be unwrapped from shame. It's time to be unwrapped from failure. It's time to be unwrapped from uh, other people's denial of your gifting. And Jesus tells you how to go about this. Uh, as they're wondering about how to be the greatest, Jesus says, the greatest of you among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules should be like the one who serves. This is in the same conversation over the meal. And if you want to get back into fulfilling God's promise on your life, serve. That's it. It's profound and deep. And it will be revolutionary. If you've got a prophetic gift, then start praying for people. If you feel you've got a teaching gift, then take the word of God and unpack it with somebody. Encourage them. If you want to find somewhere to serve, serve in the kids' ministry. Get involved and come alongside the next generation of those who are hearing from God and serving, from, serving God and, and living for Him. Invest in them. Find somewhere to serve. If your gift's giving, then give. Finally, there are times when we disqualify ourselves because we say, do you know what? It's all great, Stuart. Do you know I haven't blown it so much. I know God's forgiven me, but I'm just busy. I'm just really busy. I've got so much going on. I'm too stressed. I'm too busy. It's the wrong time. I'm, or I did it once. I've done it. I've finished. Let someone else do it. My word for you today, you're not done yet. Just, just we'll be still for a moment. Just, just check. Are you breathing? Can you feel yourself breathing? Okay, while you've got breath in your body, there is still time to serve Jesus. Every breath he's given us to enable us to serve him. People come to Jesus and say, I want to follow you, but first let me go and bury my father. Now the father's actually still alive. He's just waiting for him to die. Which could be some time off. It'll be some years off, and he's waiting, waiting to get all the affairs sorted out, all the business sorted out, all the, the legalities tied up. Just, just, I've got stuff to do. Wait, I'm not going to serve you until I've sorted out my dad's estate and everything, and it's actually dead. And Jesus said, well, let, let them sort themselves out. You go and proclaim the kingdom of God. The time is now. The time's now. Uh, another place we read that 
the, Jesus says, you say four months and then the harvest. I say, the harvest is ripe now. Now's the time. Uh, Another one says, I'll follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hands to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. These sound harsh in one sense because we don't understand the context, but when you do, you hear and understand that Jesus is just saying, don't have other priorities. If you put me first, everything else will be okay. It'll be sorted. Um, He still teaches elsewhere about caring for family and the biblical... uh, Principles are about caring for family and making sure people don't suffer, but the call is to serve and to do it now. If you've tried something and done it and moved on, do you know what? I want to ask, what have you moved on to? Have you moved on to another form of radically serving Jesus? Because if not, the time is now. So, my prayer for us, and I believe it's a word from God for us today, is that just as Jesus looks through our failure and calls us to serve him still, Today, whether you've missed it or you're not up to it or you've denied it or other people have or you're not doing it or you feel like you've blown it, the time to serve Jesus is now. Today is the day of salvation. If you've been waiting, I don't know everybody here, so if you've been waiting to to wait till your life is ready to say yes to following Jesus for the very first time, You've been waiting to get stuff lined up to say, I want to get a bit cleaner before I become a Christian. I want to say to you, you don't need to. And in fact, you can't. The harder you try to get cleaned up, the messier you'll get. Because all that will happen is because you'll get quite pleased that you're getting a bit cleaned up and then you'll be proud. And you'll end up further away from God than you started. So please, if that's you today, come to Jesus covered in muck just as you are, and say yes to him. If you've been living, serving him for some years, and and you've stopped for whatever reason, because you've blown it, because you've been disappointed, because you've been carrying shame, because someone else hasn't recognized your gifting, because you think, oh, I'm done with that, it's time to move on, stop worrying. Hear the voice of Christ as he calls you through from the other side of that and says, this is what I want you to do. Let's pray together. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that you love us. Thank you that you call us. Thank you that you delight in us. And Lord, I thank you for people like Peter who mess up big time. And they give us hope. And Lord, I pray that for each one of us, we would discover as we share communion together something profound about your call to us today. I pray, Lord, for each one of us that we would meet with you again as we share communion. That we would meet with you around the table. That we would, just like Peter did, hear your call to repentance but then to restoration and recommissioning. Lord, I pray for us as we take the bread and we take the juice together in a moment as we're led through that time. That you would do something new in our hearts. That where we've carried disappointment and shame, you would break that off us. That you would not allow us to linger in the place of loss. But you would bring us through to the place of the prophetic where your call is on our lives again. Lord, where where we're sitting in a place of exhaustion and busyness and we're saying, God, how can I serve you now? God, I pray that you'd help us to see you and to say yes to serving you even when it doesn't make sense. And to find a way of putting you first every day. 
even when it feels like our options are so limited, to say, God, help me rearrange my priorities to put you first, to exalt you, and let everything else fall underneath. Lord, I pray where we've been denied opportunity, I pray you'd help us forgive, but also pick up the bowl again and pick up the towel again and start washing people's feet. Start serving again, not living in disappointment, not living in hurt, not living in brokenness, but picking it up again and saying, I am not disqualified. I'm going to serve Jesus. And Lord, finally, I pray for any who are here today who are waiting until they're ready to say yes to you. I pray, Lord, that they would know that today is the day of salvation and they can turn to you. Lord, thank you that you forgive their sin. Thank you that you welcome them into your kingdom. Thank you that you make them whole. Amen.